0: to the Film Monsters Podcast with Nate and Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to the A24 Fanboy. I mean the Film Monsters Podcast. I'm Nate.
1: And I'm a, a very, very upset Ray right now.
0: <laughs> Listen. I can say that we're A24 fanboys because we are. It would be lying otherwise. But I know you're upset not about me doing that introduction. You're upset about something else. And I would like you to go ahead and talk about what you're upset about.
1: Nate, Nate I've had it. I've had it with the... The elitism of this world, I, I'm putting my foot down. This it, it goes completely against everything that this podcast stands for.
0: I'm so sorry that you loved Bodies, Bodies, Bodies so much and I <laughs> trashed it so hard. I apologize. <laughs> Does it have anything to do with the new Lord of the Rings television series?
1: It most definitely has everything to do with the new Lord of the Rings television series.
0: Well, you're gonna have to tell me about it because I still haven't watched the first two episodes yet, but I'm looking forward to it. But go ahead, tell tell me what tell me what's grinding your gears.
1: Listen, I I'm not I'm not here to preach Lord of the Rings to people. I love Lord of the Rings; it's near and dear to my heart. I even enjoy the Hobbit movies. I mean, there there are some stuff that I wish I could change about them, but I like them overall. And if I'm being honest with myself, I've really enjoyed the first two episodes. I watched them last night. I was sitting by my TV ready to hit play as soon as they went live. I really liked them. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm really excited to see what happens. You know, just a quick, quick tweetable um, review is it's stunning to look at. You know, it's one of the most expensive shows in history and it shows it's beautiful to look at. It's stunning, breathtaking. Put whatever adjective you want it's that this music is incredible i am so excited that i pre-ordered the score because it's incredible bear mccreary did an amazing job on the music the story wise i mean i'm i'm two episodes in man i'm excited to see what happens next i didn't fall in love with all the great shows that i love so much based on the pilot episode alone so i'm excited i'm excited to see where it goes and i am optimistic about it my qualms come from this elitist, like, hatred that that's rising up against the show. And I'm sure against other shows. I, I know you had mentioned off the podcast that you've noticed this yourself with the new Game of Thrones. But I'm so fed up with people just having this, like, sense of elitism where they haven't even watched the show. They haven't even watched this property. And they're already trashing it. Like, it's the worst thing I saw. Uh, this god-awful review on Rotten Tomatoes of this guy that was like, I've been a fan of Lord of the Rings for forever now, and those hobbits don't even look like hobbits. And I'm like, bro, if you would have watched the episode, if you would have actually watched the episode, you would have picked up through one line of dialogue that they're not hobbits. And just things like that, was like, oh... The Lord of the Rings is trying to shove Now they're trying to shove political agenda. I was like, why? Because there's a Latin man portraying a an elf. To me, that was, you know, inspiring to see uh, a man with brown skin portraying an elf. That was like near and dear to my heart. You know, it was one of my favorite parts of the show to see someone of my background being represented through this fantastical creature that I've grown to love and care for since I was little. And you have all these reviews and you have all these people literally creating fake profiles. And this is just my take on it, you know, because it's from what I've noticed, you know, people writing these reviews like, oh, I'm not going to even waste my words on it. It's awful. I'm like, but you obviously have a profile on Rotten Tomatoes to write that line. To give the show a one-star review. So did you actually watch it or you're just bitter that this is happening and you just want to put hate out there of something you haven't even seen? And you click on these profiles on Rotten Tomatoes and they don't even have a profile picture. They don't have any other things reviewed. It's just literally a hyperbolic one sentence hateful review of the show. And I'm just so fed up with that so much. It bothers me that people aren't willing to just let other people... A, enjoy things, and B, make up their own minds about it.
0: Yeah, I think it all comes back to what you and I have talked about on the podcast probably like a million times now. I'm sure our regular viewers have realized that Ray and I have beaten this to death, but I think that the issue sort of falls into there's this like gatekeeping nature about just film in general. There's this thing with franchises where people like become super attached to certain franchises and they... Act a certain way towards it. The The Lord of the Rings, especially the original three films, are something that are super beloved. And I think, you know, when a property gets picked up by one of the biggest corporations in America, Amazon, people have their skepticism. And I think that's totally fine to be skeptical about something, but you have to give it a chance before you go out there and be like, oh, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, this is terrible, why would they ever make it? And it's like you said, people making baseless comments about things that they haven't even watched yet. And you mentioned it a little bit and I'll talk about it. And before I go there, I wanna say, people making comments about people from different backgrounds playing characters. Like I remember when they announced the live action Little Mermaid movie that the person playing the Little Mermaid was gonna be African-American and people like freaked out about it. It's a fairy tale. It is what it is. like, let people play different roles. The thing is, the Lord of the Rings takes place in a mystical universe. Who knows what color skin people had or what they looked like or how they are. Like Just let people be themselves. Let representation occur because it's like what you said. There are probably so many people from that background that are watching that show saying, here's a person in one of my favorite universes that looks like me. And that is so great for people and I love that. But Coming around to what I was saying, you were talking about Game of Thrones. This new show, The House of Dragons, my wife and I are watching it. I really enjoyed Game of Thrones. The end is people are bitter about it. And I think because the way it ended, people are just like, I'm not going to watch this new Game of Thrones show because it's going to be stupid. And you know what? I've watched the first two episodes and it's really great. It's beautiful to look at, like you said, with Lord of the Rings. It has great performances. It's just fantastic. And the thing is, is like... Let people enjoy things. Let people like things. There's no reason to be super gatekeepy about something so stupid when it's like you haven't even given it time to live. Like the show's only aired for two episodes. Let it go a whole season before you start talking shit about it.
1: Well, and the other thing that I wanted to add too is I feel like – and this is and this is something that I think you and I both suffer from, and everyone does, and it's okay to an extent, but there's no need to resource to needless hatred. You know, people that went in with this expectation of like, oh, it's going to be awful, or it's going to, you know, it will never live up to the original trilogy. No, it's not going to live up to the, to the original trilogy. Just like the Force Awakens was never going to live up to A New Hope, and just like whatever evil dead comes up is not going to live up to dead by dawn because when we experience these things for the first time there is this experience that will this thing of experiencing something for the first time we will never have that again so to try to compare this new lord of the rings to Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, or to try to even compare the, the first two seasons of Game of Thrones to this new House of Dragons. That's not a fair comparison. We will never experience that. Nothing will be quite as good as that first experience we had. An example that I, that I love, that I heard um, actually the band Emery talk about, is the band has their entire lives to work on their first album. And maybe a year or two to work on their second. So, you know, when you experience that first thing, you've had your whole life to experience that one thing. And then you only have, what, a couple of months, maybe a year to experience the next thing. So, like, that first experience, you will never have that again. So, for people to sit there and trash this thing and compare it to The Lord of the Rings, it's not fair because... You will. I will never have the experience that I had watching Fellowship for the first time. I will never have that, and to try to recreate that experience on this brand new show, it's just an unfair thing
0: to do to the to the creators of it. I think you summed it up perfectly. It reminds me of that quote from uh, Anton Ego from from Ratatouille, when he says: "It's all about." perspective and that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what you put into it it's perspective it's you know when we saw the Lord of the Rings when we were kids and we were growing up like you're never going to feel that way again I mean people want to but that's what new franchises are for new films like the last time I felt like that was like everything everywhere all at once watching something that was so fresh so new so exciting and you're going to get that in your life but like the thing is as an avid enjoyer of a franchise just to, just get excited about the material that's being provided to you. You don't have to immediately go into it and say, I'm going to love this with every fiber of my being because it might not be very good. But the thing is, give it some time, let it breathe a little bit, see how it works before you immediately trash it. Because if you're a fan of something and you want the thing to keep existing, you probably want to give them a shot before the company's like, well, people are already hating this. Now we're not going to make any more of it. And that's that's what it's going to come down to is if people hate on something so early, they'll never make any more of it and if you're a part of a fan base that wants more of it you should probably at least give it a shot and if it does suck tell them it sucks but it might be good and you might be missing out on something that you really enjoy
1: and also and just a few more things that I want to just point out before I I get off my my rant is you you also don't know where it's going to go like people are hating this plot, or this plot, or this other plot. And who knows, maybe by the time the ep- the season is over, those plots are going to make sense because you're not watching a movie that will resolve itself in two hours. You're watching something that's going to f- have a resolution until season five, maybe. And you don't know that. And people just need to get off their high horses and enjoy things and let other people enjoy things. I mean, we claim to be fans of these things. But like you said, are are we real fans or we are just mad that it will never live up to our expectations you know i i've read so many stories you know from bands that call the quits because their fans turn against them but then these same fans i'm like oh i wish that band got back together it's like well where were you when that band was putting out music the same thing with this with these properties is like oh i miss the did you know people complain all the times like oh i miss when movies were a x y and z i'm like well then support them support that Because we're not. We're sitting here behind our keyboard just typing angry letters without giving these properties a chance. So like, I guess what I want to say at the end of the day is give these things a chance. Actually give these things a chance. Also celebrate good things. I think, like I said, when I saw a Latin man playing an elf to me as a person, you know, I'm not even a US citizen. And to be able to see a Latin man portray that filled my heart with joy. So maybe before you, you start trashing like, oh, it's a political agenda. No, it's not a political agenda. I finally feel like people like me can be part of this world and that should be celebrated. So make your mind, make your own mind about things. Don't just go mindlessly, get behind the keyboard, actually give this, these things a chance whether it be Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, Star Wars, Marvel, whatever you are, if you're a fan of it, yeah, I get it. You're not going to love everything and that's okay, but at least try to make your own mind about it before you go on a hateful tirade behind your keyboard. That's, that's just kind of what I wanted to leave this little rant on.
0: And before we finish it up, I just thought I would bring it up. Uh, obviously, you guys know I'm a huge horror fan. The, in October, the new reboot of Hellraiser is coming out and they casted a trans woman to play pinhead and i am super excited about that because the thing is if you read clive barker's original novel the hellbound heart these are creatures they're they're not like specified to a specific gender they don't look a certain way they're like literally these creatures from another world and it's like who cares who plays them, and if you're casting a transgender person to play this role, you're providing entirely new representation into a community where, like, there are going to be so many trans kids out there who are, like... There is a person who is making a name for themselves in Hollywood in one of the most predominant horror franchises that has ever existed. And I am beyond excited to watch it. They've got a great director behind it. And it's like, I'm getting pumped up. But I've seen so many people online like, oh, this is just political. Oh, they're just doing this to put a trans person out there. And it's like, no celebrate the differences that people bring to material get excited about that stuff like i look forward to it because past the second hellraiser movie they kind of get crap so if they give this to a really good person i'm looking forward to hopefully getting three or four movies out of it and building this universe into something incredible that it could have always been so i agree with you ray i think it's really stupid that people are so gatekeepy and awful about things and people should just learn to try to enjoy things and give them a chance
1: Yep, so, which by the way,
0: she looks great. I saw the the stilts. She looks great. I love the way they've modernized the pinhead look. It looks so, it's like they kept some homage to the original, but I love like the black eyes. And I also love how her throat is kind of like open a little bit in that one photo. Like it just looks fantastic. And clearly Clive Barker was fighting for the rights for Hellraiser for a really long time. And he finally got the rights back and he's able to work with these people to kind of make it a little bit more aligned to what he. He wanted it to be originally and so that's just something to be excited about and especially if you're a horror fan I mean I didn't like the last Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie but they're trying to ble- breathe breathe life into a franchise and I went into it excited I did not like the last Halloween movie I thought it was terrible but I'm gonna go watch Halloween ends because I'm a fan of the franchise and I enjoy those things and I want things like that to keep being made so try to support something and be excited about it before you just like completely rip On it if you've never even watched it.
1: Now, speaking of ripping on things, here's, we were gonna talk about a film that I feel like has been ripped on unnecessarily and that it's underrated. And I am so excited to talk to you about it, Nate.
0: I am too. And I'm so glad that this was the number one one on your list because I was in a similar camp to you where I watched this on streaming short. I think I rented it like shortly after it came out and it didn't come to the theaters near me. I didn't see it really around anywhere. My wife and I had a lot of extensive conversations about this and we both were absolutely in love with this movie. And I cannot believe more people didn't talk about it and the movie we're going to talk about today is lamb
1: yeah um i remember you know that experience it never came near me i didn't even watch it on vod i just remember seeing it i saw the the 4k blu-ray show up on the a24 store and it just it looks so gorgeous and it looks so incredible and i did my fair share of research on it and i'm like you know what i'll do it uh, i, I kind of did a blind purchase on it I, I think I just placed an, a big order from A24 and I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll throw this in to be able to like, you know, save on shipping and, and whatnot. And I'm so glad I did. First of all, A24 is stepping it up big time on packaging for for these physical releases, but also like the the restoration of it or the 4K editing and... Just all the cool stuff that they add is amazing. So, you know, I'm like, if anything else, I'll have a gorgeous Blu-ray. And no, it was, it was incredible. I couldn't look away from the moment I hit play on that movie. I completely
0: agree. And I think that it immediately enamors you from the very first shot. I, I think you mentioned it when we were talking about it in the last episode. It's really hard to not make Iceland look gorgeous but those first couple of shots in the movie just really kind of bring you into the atmosphere of this film which it's really gorgeous to look at but it's very like blue the color palette is very sad and somber and you kind of feel that through most of the film and the entire movie just the, the most simple shots even like Numi Rapace's character when she's riding on the the tractor they're just so beautifully framed and what I thought was interesting when I was re-watching it I actually rewatched it yesterday and I wanted to to tell you ray thinking about the expansion of the property that they live on i thought it was incredible that like they'd have these still image shots where they were walking and they have the mountains in the background and the mountains just don't move because they're so huge and it just gives you the idea of the scope of this place that they live in and how big it is well and
1: even like the indoor shots though like because they live in Arguably, like a pretty small home. I mean, small for what it is, for this farmhouse. You know, the, the rooms, uh, living room, kitchen. They all feel kind of like really, really intimate, really tight knit. And even those, like the way that they lit those rooms, and you know, the way those, those, like the blue hues kind of creep in through the through the bedrooms and. Through the kitchen and the living room, it's it gives you this sense, like like you said, this like somber, sad. Like there's this somber mood in that home, like at all times.
0: Exactly, and it come it comes to life even more through the film. And Ray mentioned it in our episode last week. But the way the film starts, you don't really get any dialogue for probably the first. 12 to 13 minutes of the movie with the exception of at the beginning you have this radio that's like playing this announcement talking about the fact that it's christmas time and the camera goes into the barn that has all the sheep in it and you're really just kind of getting a scope of where they're at you cut outside and there's some sound of some like creature that spooks all of these animals and you don't really know what it is and then when they're in the barn again you hear that same noise, and we're not 100% sure what it is, but it just really creates that ominous tone that the entire movie has where you constantly feel like there's this looming presence or something around, and I love the way that that movie kicks off. It just immediately piqued my interest.
1: Well, then, we were talking about this off the podcast, and there's almost this sense of, like, so much is being told through all that visual storytelling, uh, even little hints like, You can tell there's some form of friction between that couple. That's kind of the way they look at each other, you know. know, Often you see couples, you know, talking and being very social and laughing, but there's not a lot of that. Even when they're working, they're working in silence. They're not really sharing much. You can sense a tension between them, too, at all times. And that's... You're never told, like, oh, they're having marital issues. You're never told any of that. You just... You just feel this sense of somberness and dread just emanating from that couple.
0: And it's really interesting that you mention that too, because I took that up even more this time. as like, even at the beginning, so after that initial shot, what we're given for a little while is just mundane shots of their day-to-day life. So there's a shot of like Numi Rapace, on this machine that's like i don't i don't know anything about farming but but she's out doing some kind of work in the field you see the husband he's like in the barn working with the animals there's this scene at the beginning of them just like while the sheep are giving birth that they're just like in complete silence just grabbing them tagging their ears like doing all the mundane stuff it the very first time they speak to each other they're at a table and the husband is reading a magazine and he says, well, it looks like they are uh, they figured out how time travel is going to happen. She's like, really? Like they figured out how to do time travel? He's like, no. Well, it's all theoretical. And he said, I'm not sure if I want to know my future anyway. And she's like, well, wouldn't you want to know something about the past or something to that regard? And it just immediately gives you that character dynamic between the two of them of that, His character is much more focused on like the here and now and living in today and possibly looking at the future where Numi Rapace's character is much more focused on the past and something that happened in the past, which in the first few minutes of the film... You're not 100% sure what they're talking about, but you keep that in the back of your head. And uh I think that's a really poignant way of what you talked about off the podcast, Ray. It's great foreshadowing. It really does kind of get you into the mind of, okay, here's these two characters, they have very different mindsets, and where is this film going to take us?
1: I know I touched a little bit on this when I was ranting a second ago, but like at, at first glance, that that little piece of conversation seems like pointless. Like what was the point of that? That seemed random. to just throw in there but you know as we find out later on and as we find out on subsequent watches that, that little piece of dialogue is actually really powerful and really meaningful in the grand scheme of things in the film so once again, going back to my previous rant, just like stick it out, man. You, you'll you get something beautiful out of it if you just stick it out.
0: Exactly. And there's another piece of symbolism, which I talked to Ray about off the podcast, which happens right after this scene. I Rapace says something to her husband about like, hey, you need to go check this thing out in the barn. And he goes up to the barn and the camera holds on this shot of him looking down into this bucket of water around the sheep out there. And he's looking in it, and his reflection is completely clear. And then you see this baby and a larger sheep come up and start drinking the water, and it breaks his reflection, and it just holds the entire time. And we won't get into it at this very second. As Ray said before, with that last conversation being seemingly mundane, to the normal viewer, that shot might seem completely meaningless, but that shot speaks volumes later on in the film. And I was like, wow, this is really great visual foreshadowing
1: yeah um well and then soon after that i mean you talked about it actually on our previous episode when they show some of the shots of them inside the barn and you see them helping this lamb give birth i hope i'm not getting ahead of myself i believe that's the next big event in the film
0: yep that's the next part
1: yeah so they're they're sitting there and this is what i was referencing to there this lamb the sheep is giving birth to to a little baby lamb and this is one of those shots that i was talking about where their husband and wife who have built a life of their own and dynamic is very cold they're mostly just focusing on the task at hand and not really having any playful banter or any of that and they're helping this lamb and then i thought it was really interesting that they don't show you right away what the lamb looks like they just kind of have this this reaction but it's I don't even know, how would you describe that reaction that she has? Because it's a very, like, they're not shocked per se, but they're also not, like, totally chill about it. How would you describe that moment? Because it's hard for me to put words into that that reaction that they have when they first see this little baby lamb being born.
0: It's really interesting because I actually made a comment about this when I was watching it last night. It's not shocked. Like, it's it, it's, like... They're both kind of surprised at first. It's almost like they give each other a confused but almost at ease kind of look at each other. Like it's it, it's really the most unique feeling in the world when you're watching it. Because it's very subdued. And then you see them carry the baby out and they're like bottle feeding it. And what I love about this is obviously if you've seen the promotional material for this film, you know what you're getting yourself into at this point. But I love that if you went into this movie not even seeing a trailer, they do a really great job at hiding what Ada is for a very long period of the movie. You you get very brief, little tiny glimpses, but it's not like... Oh, we're going to show you exactly what's going on right out of the gate. It's not until probably 15 to 20 minutes after this scene until you really realize what's happening.
1: Yeah, which, you know, I understand that they have to promote this movie. Uh, and there was no real proper way of promoting this kind of film. But it, I thought it was really interesting that even though we all already knew from the trailers what it was going to look like, that the movie still tries really hard to not, to not show that. And then when they finally, when we finally get the reveal, to me, something that I find fascinating about this movie is that they're just so accepting of it. Like, I feel like in any, your average film, somebody would have a reaction about this. Somebody would be like, what the hell, that's... That's a child with a lamb's head but that's never brought into question there's never a moment of like are we questioning the sanity are we questioning that this could be a supernatural thing there's never a moment in question that they're just like oh yeah this is our child now and I just thought that was that that take is so fascinating because it's just like this is life this is normal there's nothing wrong with this there's nothing weird about this we're just accepting this as it is I
0: think what's interesting is, it's not even just a lamb's head on a, on a child's body. It's split sort of diagonally to where it has one human hand and one lamb hoof. And it also like has half of a human chest and half of a lamb chest. And then the legs are both human. So I thought that that was really interesting because I know, Ray, that you... We mentioned it a little bit on the other episode that we've talked about the commentary that this film has on the misuse of animals. But it to me, it made me think even larger about, okay, even the representation of this child could be looked at as like how humans are with animals, how we treat them, how we try to make them the way that we want them to be rather than allowing them to just be animals. Even like if you look at the way we domesticate dogs, anything like that. And there's such larger symbolism at play that I think choosing to cut it diagonally to where the it blends more than just like a head on a body of a human being would seem a little campier. I feel like it makes it even more mystical and creepy and I and also adorable at the same time. I think it's all, it's all of those things at once.
1: Yeah. There's definitely a sense of like, you're almost enamored by it right away. Like I, I would keep it too,
0: you know? <laughs> oh, 100% I would. And so you're at the beginning, you just kind of see them doing day to day things and, there's uh, but what really starts happening that kind of makes you uncomfortable right out of the gate is the sheep or the lamb's mother, the actual sheep, keeps coming to the house outside of the window to where there's one scene where Numi Rapace just kind of goes nuts and screams at it. They're like walking outside towards the house, and the sheep keeps following them, and she just turns around. And, like, screams at it, like, gutturally. And they walk back to the house. And that's still even before that you've 100% seen what Ada is.
1: And, honestly, this whole sequence of the lamb was probably the most heartbreaking thing like the movie kind of gets a little crazier as it progresses but this for some reason this impacted me in such a way because as i've mentioned in in the past i'm um i'm an animal person I, i i'm a vegetarian i don't eat meat i try to limit as much animal product consumption i'm not a vegan but i do try to limit as much as i can um using animal products but um so this scene was just so crushing for me because i don't know how they did it i don't know how they train these animals. But like, I felt the pain of that sheep. Like I felt it, I was with it. There was something so um, charismatic about that sheep and I just, I felt that pain along with it. And I was just so enamored by it and I just, I couldn't fathom it. You know, usually you see an animal on screen, you're like, oh, they're cute, they're adorable. But with this sheep, there was almost a sense of like, I believe the pain the sheep is having. I believe it and it's messing me up in ways that i can't describe
0: exactly for a while we get scenes of just them living their everyday life and that sheep constantly coming in and you can tell that the parents are trying to just live a life and we're not 100 percent sure why they're so accepting of this it's it's not revealed until a little later on but what happens is that this keeps culminating to the point where one day ada disappears out of the house and they kind of like lose their mind they're going all over the place and that's the scene where i talk about that she like screams at the the sheep is when they have to go out and find where did ada go and so one day they're in the house and the sheep is outside and Numi rapace's character just kind of goes nuts and she's fed up with it she grabs a shotgun goes outside and just with like zero remorse kills it right there. Like literally shoots it straight in the forehead and then picks it up and buries it in a shallow grave near the house. And I was like, damn, that is relentless. It's brutal. It's like you can just see that there's no... She feels so entitled to Ada that like Ada is mine. Ada is my child that... This is just a nuisance to her. She just wants to get rid of this, which later on will be a, a tit-for-tat scenario, if you want to look at <laughs> it like that. Which is interesting how, you know, there's a lot of larger commentary on this, but you can view this as a very simplistic fairy tale at the most minimum. And, yeah, that's it's brutal. It it was hard to watch this time, too. Like, just watching her drag that dead sheep and bury it in the yard, I was like, oh. It just shook me.
1: Because for me, the the movie is constantly making, especially from from this point of the movie is where that um, commentary on how we treat animals becomes really blatant, in, in my opinion. And, yeah, there's just this sense of, like you said, it's hard to watch. And you mentioned this on our previous episode. Even though it's hard to watch and even though you feel for, for the sheep as a maternal instinct, you know, I've seen so many documentaries of like how these animals behave and the behavior and psychology of an animal and they really do feel pain and suffering but at the same time you can tell this woman is also feeling some form of grief pain and suffering i've heard that the worst pain a human can feel is a loss of a child like their own child so you almost feel for both so it's kind of hard to be like well, she's awful because she did that, or that sheep is annoying because that sheep is doing that. It really puts you in like a very um, moral and philosophical dilemma. Th- that situation alone.
0: Exactly, and what I wanted to say too, really quickly, when you were talking about just like the perspective of the way we treat animals, this goes back to a little earlier in the film, but that scene where they're tagging the baby's ears—it's just so cold like when you watch it it's so it almost feels documentary like where it's like the camera holds on them like piercing the lamb's ear to put the numbered tag on it and it's just like it's so formulaic it's so like assembly line that it's it really gets you in the head of like this is how these big businesses who manufacture meat products from killing animals like this is how it is to them it's very much just a job it's nothing more than that and so it really does have that very cold Old sort of like heartless feel but at the same time right after that scene very shortly after you get this really beautiful shot of Numi rapace with ada sitting outside and she makes ada like a flower crown which called a midsummer <laughs> that's what i was th- <laughs> yeah. i was like if if, if A24 sold a like Ada sheep with the flower crown for like a hundred bucks they would sell out of those like immediately I would buy one too I would put it with my record collection right after that she makes that flower crown and they're walking together and she takes Ada to this cemetery and you don't get anything except there's three crosses in the cemetery and for a very quick second it's not even I had to pause my movie because it cuts away so fast but there's a placard on one of them says. Says Ada, and it's in Icelandic, but if you translate it, it says angel on earth, angel in heaven, which right after that gives you the idea that her and her husband have tried to have kids before, and that either they've had the kids and they've died, or something has happened to where they have not been able to keep their children. And that really kind of pulls at your heartstrings even more and kind of puts you in. And makes you understand why they are so accepting of having this lamb-human-child hybrid as a kid.
1: Right. And, you know, when you put it through that perspective, it's like, you know, there there is, I've seen cases of mothers having postpartum depression and they will do things that they normally don't do. You know, they I gotta understand the psychology of it, obviously, but, you know, who's to say that this isn't a recent event and she's experiencing some postpartum depression that has pushed her over the edge, you know, because between the cold relationship she has with her husband and this almost matter-of-fact, like, she's mine and I'm going to kill the biological mother... At, and you know to keep her at all costs, who's to say that she's not experiencing some form of grief? you know, I would love to see this film through the lens of an of of a grieving mother just to see how how accurately depicted that can be.
0: Yes, I completely agree with you. Uh, I think that would be a really fascinating comparison so shortly after that, ...scene that we were just talking about... ...you get introduced to this random character... ...who we have no idea who it is... ...but there's these people driving in the middle of nowhere... ...it's these two women and this guy... ...that get out of a car... They open the trunk, and they just kind of dump this dude on the side of the road. And he navigates through, and he ends up stumbling on the house. And he goes inside, and he sleeps in the barn. And I think what's a really interesting shot is when he wakes up in the barn, his vision's kind of blurry, and he sees Ada standing there. And he kind of shakes his head, and then she's gone. And he comes out of the barn, and he goes out there... And when he sees the husband, the husband isn't shocked or anything. And he's like, hey, I got in late last night. I slept in the barn. And we come to find out that that is the husband's brother, Peter, who clearly is into some weird stuff. We don't really get the full scope of what's going on with him uh, and why those people like dumped him off in the middle of nowhere. When he arrives and he sees what they're doing with Ada he is completely put off with it and he thinks there is something very wrong with what is going on.
1: I don't know if you were if you were like me, I was actually laughing pretty hard at that scene when the, when they're having breakfast and Ada just walks up to the table and sits there. He just kind of keeps giving her these like awkward glances.
0: Yeah, he's like he's completely shocked. There's a scene which is it's really tense, but he goes in and Numi Rapace is, is taking a bath with Ada, and they're like playing around together or whatever. And Peter walks down the stairs and he like stares at them through the window. You don't see Ada through that shot, you just see Numi Rapace, and he's like looking at her and kind of just staring at her for a really long period of time. And you get an idea that there's something that was happening between the two of them. He comes back to the stairs and the husband comes in and he sees what he was doing. But he asks him the question like, what the fuck is going on here? What is this? And I think he responds as like paradise or happiness. Or it's like a one word statement and he walks away. But he doesn't seem off put at the fact that his brother just like looked at his wife. And I wonder if and i was asking myself this the other night did does he know of their affair is he aware of it
1: maybe or an, another another thought that i just had right now is like what if the husband isn't able to have kids so there is a connection there with the brother i don't know i guess i guess it becomes clearer later on but yeah I did find that odd that, like, he almost has no problem with him looking at his wife in the bath. Like, he, he's almost unfaced by
0: it. He makes an advance at her really early on when he first gets there. Uh, he, like, tries to kiss her or something. They're, like, outside together and it's just the two of them. And she's like, please don't do this right now. Like, I, I don't want anything to do with this. So you can tell that it's either she feels some remorse about it. Or, like, he's just kind of an off-putting asshole. I'm not really 100% sure. But it that dynamic is really fascinating. And it, we'll talk about it a little bit more because it gets explored more later in the film. But I think that that's a really interesting element.
1: Well, and then you, you get a lot of shots of them spending time together. Mm-hmm. And that's what I find so interesting. That, like, the husband's reaction originally to this whole dynamic and then... They are just spending time together like nothing is wrong. And, and that's just interesting to me because that dynamic, like I said, you you have this really cold dynamic between the two of them from the get-go. And then you have the husband almost not being very reactive to this really awkward moment. You know, like I know that me, for example, I've, you know, I've covered up just at the thought of like my parents walking in while I was changing, you know, let alone if it was like a partner. So, to me, that was just such an interesting reaction. And then you get all these shots of them just spending time together like nothing is wrong. And he even starts... I don't know. I don't know how you felt about this. I felt really, like, weird because he's trying to connect with Ada, but it almost
0: feels malicious. Well, but don't forget before he connects with Ada there's the really intense scene where one morning it's really early they're both still asleep in bed he grabs her and walks her outside and he tries to kill her yes he he points the shotgun at her and it cuts away and the next scene is Numi Rapace wakes up and wakes up doesn't see Ada in the crib and she walks out into the living room and Ada's asleep on Peter's lap. He thinks for a very very brief moment about killing her. But what's interesting is he does start acting like an uncle after that. He really like there's a scene where they drive out and attract her together and he's like talking to her about like being what it's like being on the farm and talking about her parents and he's really trying to make make a legitimate bond with Ada. And you wonder too, and I, I think that's a really interesting perspective, right? Cause I never thought about it that way. Is he doing it more maliciously to try to get close to Maria, Numi no- Rapace's character, or is he trying to like, or does he genuinely care? Because I mean, she is the cutest little thing in the world. It would be impossible not to love, her. <laughs> love her <laughs> shifts your perspective multiple times in wondering like, what the hell is going on? And what I what I wanted to say, this brings up a scene that I think is really fascinating. One of the times that Peter takes Ada out, they're together, and that's the first time that Maria and her husband, uh, I haven't said his name the entire podcast, but his name is Ingvar. I was afraid I was going to screw it up. But the two of them are home together, and they're like, it's the first time we really see them happy. And they actually have this really intimate sex scene at one point. And it's you can tell at first like uh Maria's character doesn't really know how to react to it, but then she just kind of like completely and totally like gives herself away in this like ecstasy of the moment of like now she's intimate with her husband again. They have the child they've always wanted. She's finally to a point where they're happy, and right after that, there's that really cute scene where they're waiting on them to come back home after the tractor broke down on Peter when he was out there with Ada, that they're playing cards together at the table, and they're laughing and having a wonderful time, and I thought that was really one of the few moments of genuine happiness that we get throughout the entire film.
1: Yeah, that's actually a good point. I never... I never, re- I never made that connection that, yeah, like, it's almost like everything is finally kind of, like, feeling happy again. Like, I, I actually never didn't realize that the last time I watched it, that, yeah, there's this sense of, like, I don't know, right after they have that, that intimate moment, it's almost like everything is falling into place. Like, they're starting to become happy. The the brother may not be that bad of a guy, you know, he's actually connecting with Ada. Yeah, that is really interesting. I never, I never thought of it like that.
0: And what's really interesting too is... And I mentioned this to Ray off the podcast... Because I watched this just last night... So I was taking a lot of notes... But what is really fascinating is... Right after that there's a scene... Ada and Peter are still out together... And Maria and Ingvar are sitting in the house... And he's sitting at the chair... And she's got her hand on his shoulder. And they're staring straight out the window. It's just completely blue outside. It's that really somber color. And it cuts away to this completely random scene. Peter is laying... It's one of the most beautiful shots in the movie. But it's just this really long water with like grass in it. So it must be something that's flooded. And you see Ingvar get up. And he literally screams Ada at the top of his lungs and he's screaming and he's completely covered in water and he's running and then it cuts back into the house to the two of them where you see them face forward and they're smiling. And I was talking to Ray off the podcast about is he responsible for one of those children's deaths? Because they have this huge land, we see Ada constantly like walking around these like ponds that they have on the property. There's a lot of danger for a very small child. And he when he gets up, you wonder to yourself, was he negligent and was he responsible for the child's death? Which is why he does not want to think about the past, which is what we were talking about earlier with that time travel thing. Does he not want to be concerned with the past? Does he not want to think about the past because he feels responsible for the the loss of that child
1: yeah i remember us discussing this and that is such and, and again going back to kind of a motif that a lot of these films have again it's like it feels like a, a an out of nowhere scene like what was the point of that but there is a very and obviously a lot of these films are up to interpretation but yeah i, I could see that and that would explain away the why they are so cold with each other and why it took almost like you, you would argue all these traumatic experiences you know having to have a new member in the household and seeing that dynamic with Ada I I feel like him quote-unquote accepting Ada was almost like a sight of relief for them so that kind of makes me think maybe they knew all along this was kind of a crazy thing to do and seeing someone react the way that they do to Ada was kind of a reigniting spark for them and so I wonder if that that scene of her putting her hand on her shoulder and then cutting back to that And then cutting back to them smiling, it's almost like, okay, I'm I'm ready to move on and get our life back together.
0: Yes, exactly. And this cuts to the next scene, which is probably the last happy moments we get in the film, which is uh, Ingvar, Maria, and Peter watch this sporting event in the living room. I don't even know what... I thought it was soccer at first, but it's not. Because when it cuts over, it's something... I have no idea what sport it is. But they're getting really into it. And Ada's in there with them watching it. And she eventually gets up and walks out. But it's not during the game. It's right after. They get really upset. And what I think is really interesting about this scene is Maria says, I think I've got something that can cheer us up. And she grabs this VHS tape and puts it in, and it's a tape of Peter's old band. And it's like a two-person band, and he's like, you have this on VHS? And he looks over at Ada, and he's like, doesn't your uncle look super cool? And they all start dancing together, and they get Ada to dance. And eventually, Ada just walks out of the house. Ingvar is super drunk. He's like drunk off his ass, and he walks out to go get another drink. And that's when Maria and Peter are in there alone dancing. And I feel like that scene with the two of them dancing really kind of shows what connection the two of them had before all of this stuff was going on.
1: Yeah, like there's almost this sense of like, oh, they were a really, you know, beautiful couple that really just wanted to live the quiet life and and be together and have a family, but obviously, you know, given the circumstances there were, you know, it was a wedge in their relationship. And it was so heartbreaking because at this point in the film, you think this is a turning point in the film, you know, like we're getting a sense of happiness and a sense of clarity and some solace but then we have that moment where uh, and you again i i haven't seen this movie in a bit so some of the details are hazy but remind me how is it that She ends up confronting Peter again because I feel like it's right after this is when there's that confrontation.
0: So what happens is her – Ingvar leaves the room and it's just her and Peter in the room and they start dancing really like passionately together. And you can kind of tell like, oh, this was where the affair came from. Like you could feel the tension between the two of them as like, okay, now I get it. It was definitely like a really – big thing. And so Ingvar gets so drunk that they end up having to take him into bed and like throw him on the bed. And so they take him in there and they go into another room and Peter tries tries to start seducing Maria. He starts like kissing all over her and he's like, oh I want to be with you again. And she rejects him. She's like, I'm trying to start my family again. Like things are getting better. Things are trying to get better. And Peter reveals that he watched Maria kill the sheep and that he'll tell Ingvar that she killed the sheep if, or if she doesn't sleep with him. And so she starts to act like she's into his advances and she ends up throwing him in a closet and locking the door.
1: Yeah, and then it, there's that moment where she's trying—he's trying he's trying to... I think he... He passes out,
0: doesn't he? Yeah, she just throws him into, like, a closet and locks the door from the outside. And she starts playing piano really loudly so that uh, Ingvar won't wake up in his drunken state. And she waits until early in the morning to let him out when she knows that Ingvar's going to be asleep. And she takes him to the bus stop.
1: Yeah, and pretty much um, tells him to stay away from them, essentially.
0: She's, she essentially looks at She, like, gives him a really, like nice hug and like treats him normal but she says my family's finally starting to get back to normal i i want my family to be normal and uh she drops him off there and then we cut back to the house where Ingvar looks for maria and peter they're not there and he goes well they must be doing something so he takes ada with him To fix the broken tractor that Peter left in the middle of nowhere.
1: I feel like we're skipping over. I feel like there's something that happens with the dog at this point. Or just right after this.
0: So yes. So right in between that is when the dog. So this is actually when they're having the party. That the dog hears something in the barn. And goes out there. And we hear off screen that that poor beautiful dog gets killed. Which was another very difficult part of this movie to watch.
1: I am so happy that they do some of these things off screen. Um, Yes. On a side note, just a quick side note, there's this movie that I watched where this beautiful German Shepherd gets killed on screen, but you can tell it's fake. Like, you can absolutely tell it's a fake dog. And somebody told me, it's like, oh, that dog looks so fake. I was like, I am so glad it looks fake.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly, because... I I am to the point in my life, I love animals with my whole heart. I am not a vegetarian like Ray. I do eat animal products, but I do love animals with everything in my being. And it is harder for me to watch an animal get killed on screen than it is a person. And I know that probably sounds terrible, and I know it's all fiction, but something about just like the beauty and purity of animals and how wholesome they are it's just really hard to watch, and I'm glad it happens off screen, but that does not take away from that shot that you get that's super gnarly of how the dog looks after it was killed. Yeah, no,
1: I'm the same way. It's, it's harder for me to watch an animal die, for sure, even even if you're just hearing the yelping in the background.
0: Oh, it's its so tough.
1: So, yeah, so we get that, and then, at this point we're asking ourselves, hold on, what what killed that dog?
0: We hear that noise from the beginning of the movie. You hear that, like, growl, and that's what really makes the dog super unsettled.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, at this point, then we have this whole thing of her leaving um, and having the brother leave, and then we cut back to them repairing the tractor. And this is so, so interesting to me because it everything seems perfectly fine, but there's this... The movie does something. I don't know if it's the score. I don't know if it's the lighting or just the sound design. But there is a tension in the air from this moment on. There's something so tense. Because you hear these noises and you don't really know what it is for a long time. And again, I don't know if it's the sound design or the score. But there's some, like, the tension that it's felt throughout these. Because this is arguably, like, we're heading into the ending of you know the third act at this point
0: i almost missed over it but there's that period where they're watching the music video in the house and they're also drunk they don't really pay attention but ada runs outside and she sees whatever that is outside she sees that creature and she looks she looks at it and she ends up running back into the house before anything happens but she knows what's going to happen before anybody else in the movie does
1: And isn't there, like, a shot where, like, you can almost see the silhouetted being on her eye?
0: Yes. It is is when the creature confronts her and the dad. Before you even see the way he looks, you just see his reflection in Ada's eye. So, yeah, they're on their way back, and you hear a gunshot. And you see through Ada's eye this Ram-looking man-hybrid thing... And when it cuts away, you see that the ram is holding the gun that Maria shot the sheep with. He has shot Ingvar. And he shot him a couple of times, like, through the neck and, like, through the chest... And he's laying there on the ground bleeding. And you can tell it really upsets Ada. Ada drops to the ground. is like holding his hand. And then you get the giant looking Ram Man who's butt naked. Who I'm actually surprised we didn't get any Ram Man penis knowing A24's (laughs) history. History. I was really surprised. And honestly, I don't know if you looked through... But if you look through the booklet that A24 brought in the original still drawings, there was definitely some Ram Man Dong that was drawn in the original like shot drawing up for this film.
1: Look, all I'm saying is hit us up if you want us to make an episode on our top five favorite A24 penises.
0: Uh, The old saggy people and hereditary would be number one. (laughs) <laughs> there is a lot of penis in that movie. A lot of penis in Hereditary. There's a lot of penis in Midsummer. There's just a lot of penis in a lot of Ari Aster stuff. We need to ask him what's going on.
1: And he likes old like he likes <laughs> some old too.
0: Yeah, he's a, he, what what have we said before? He's a penis guy. Robert Eggers is a penis guy. He's also an ass man. We figured that out in all of his movies. Those A24 filmmakers, they're just some they're just some dirty dogs. But so after they get killed, Maria comes back and she she sees that they're gone and she ends up running and she finds ingvar as he's laying there dying but what i find so interesting and i wanted to talk to you about this a little bit ray so when maria kills the sheep the brother peter sees but no one else knows this has all taken place without the real biological father seeing and i find it so interesting that as his revenge he kills the husband and she never gets to see what happened
1: that is fascinating
0: yeah it's a complete it's it's like i said it's a tit for tat scenario where it's the same thing that she did to him he because we don't know how this ram man thing operates it could just be just as animalistic as a as a regular animal like you killed that thing's spouse you killed that thing that it mated with and he had no idea why or how it happened he just knows that his child is out there and exists and so he comes and kills your spouse and you never get to know who killed him it's completely a parallel and so you see her start to run to try to find him and then the literally the last frame of the movie is her closing her eyes and sobbing and it is not a happy ending not at all
1: no not at all
0: yeah this movie ends really really rough and i I, obviously we've made it through the entirety of the film but i do want to talk a little bit about what ray had mentioned in the previous episode which as you can tell there's a there's a big theme of the way human beings treat animals in this movie but there's also a really big theme of loss and dealing with depression and post-traumatic stress affiliated with loss and i think those things kind of bleed through the whole film and obviously you know the mistreatment. Treatment of animals thing is never explicitly said. It's not like the director is ham-fistedly saying this is exactly what I'm trying to say. But you can really pick up on a lot of it just through the visuals. And Ray made a brilliant point at the beginning, which is this movie is told so much through visuals. Almost everything is you build together in your head through the imagery, through the cinematography.
1: Well, and then I, you know, as I was on my journey to to get to the point where I'm at as far as how I feel about animal rights. Rest- you know, I did see, uh, and you don't even need to go watch some awful PETA documentary. Just watch the film *Okja*. That tells you enough in like a fantastical way of what actually happens. There is this sense of like hopelessness that is portrayed on a lot of these animals and how they're treated in these uh, dairy farms. So to be, able, so I thought it was such a genius move. From the director, and obviously I don't know what the director was really trying to say, this is just my interpretation, but I think it's so genius that the dread and the sadness and hopelessness that these animals feel on these on these dairy farms is the very hopelessness that it's felt through the human characters on this film.
0: Exactly, and I think it's interesting, you were talking about watching Aukje but when I was in... Uh... When I was in school for my first degree, it was for hospitality management, and I actually watched a documentary that I don't know if you've ever seen it, Ray. It's called Food Inc., and uh, it was about like the uh, the mistreatment of animals in the, the industry, and they actually brought up um, Chipotle for when Chipotle first came out because they were one of the few companies at that time, and I don't know if they still do it, but that they were – very much into raising animals organically and giving them like the correct treatment and making sure they were taken care of for when the products were were created that they were creating that atmosphere that they, you know, like if you're going to use animals for food at least give them a good life. Don't put them, like I saw some videos in that movie of Tyson where literally chickens are like rolling around in their own shit and they're like treated literally like nothing because they're just being mass produced for their product to be shipped out and it's clearly obvious if you pay any attention that the food service like the mass food industry is disgusting the way they mistreat animals is horrible and this movie does it it commentates on it in such a subtle way that you can just sort of feel throughout the entire runtime of the movie
1: yeah and and that's you you know you get that throughout the movie of course but it's told in a way where it's not like preachy it's just like if you know, if you know, you know, type of thing. Um, But it's also not in a way where it's preaching. You can clearly look at this film through the lens of like, this is a folk horror, you know, kind of fantastical tale of nature taking revenge and taking back what's theirs. And I feel like that is a common theme on a lot of, especially on folk horror, where you get these themes of nature Really taking, you know, taking arms, and in this movie, literal, literally taking arms against the mistreatment that we humans do and how dumb we are at treating not, not just animals, but also the environment. You know, there there is a large commentary for... I think that's something that I'm warming up so much to folk horror of that, like, commentary on how we as humans are so stupid. You know, we see in Hereditary, not, I'm sorry, not Hereditary, Midsommar, some of the characters being super disrespectful towards the rituals that these ancient cults have. So I love that that folk horror has been doing lately of telling these really complex character studies, but also making a commentary on how dumb we are as human and how dumb we are you know, by destroying our, the own world that we have, whether you believe it's created by a deity or through evolution, you know, it's still a beautiful world that we've been given that we need to take care of. And we're doing
0: a horrible job at it. Oh, 100%. And I had a couple of things before we ended that I just wanted to say, uh, cause I thought you'd find all this stuff tidbits interesting. Cause I know you love this stuff, Ray. But I don't know if you know this, but this film, the director, uh, Valdemar Johansson, Co-wrote this movie with Sean, the one who co-wrote *The Northman* with Robert Eggers.
1: Oh, that's awesome!
0: Yeah, so he co-wrote this movie with him, and I also thought you'd find this interesting. This is Valdemar uh, Johansson's first film, but we talk about all the time how people come from different worlds. He is originally a special effects artist, and he actually did spec. He was a special effects technician on *Prometheus*. Transformers Age of Extinction Fast and the Furious 8 Rogue One and most recently the Amazon original movie The Tomorrow War so he does all like special effects work normally and Lamb was his first directorial feature he doesn't have anything else announced but I would say for a directorial debut you did a really great
1: job well it actually you know it stands to reason how he um, casted what's her name again
0: Numi Rapace
1: Numi Rapace, who is in Prometheus.
0: Yes, and uh, I think Numi Rapace is an incredibly talented actress. If you guys get the chance, there was a film released uh, this year called You Were... Um, you, I got to look up the name of it because it has one of those... It's like You Are Not Alone or You Are Never Alone. I got to look it up because I it. It's all these movies have these super long titles now. You Won't Be Alone is the name of it. It's another Icelandic film. It's about these, like, body changing witches and Numi rapace is in it and she is phenomenal in the movie uh it's super quiet and refined but if you like lamb honestly if you type in that movie on google the first movies that come up are the witch lamb men and x so you're probably if you're an a24 fan you'll like it i think it's streaming for free on peacock so Mm definitely check that out if you haven't seen it I'm a big Numi Rapace fan I think she's really talented but yeah that's my thoughts on Lamb I don't know if you have anything else you want to say Ray I love this movie I think it's definitely one of the more underrated films in A24's catalog I'm not sure why more people didn't praise this a lot more but I thought it was great and uh, I'm glad I got to rewatch it again because it made me like it even more
1: no same I don't really have much else to add to it other than yeah I had a. I love this movie it's quiet it's refined it talks subjects that I feel very strongly about but it's not so blatant that it would turn people off you know just you gotta do some reading man just read like i said in the last episode just read subtitles like an adult and you'll be open to so many amazing films out there
0: absolutely so that is our discussion of lamb and after our discussion of lamb ray did you make a decision on between under the silver lake and the last black man in san francisco which film we will be reviewing next week.
1: No, Nate, I went on a journey. I went on a journey of self-discovery, a journey of, of finding myself to make a decision for this. I couldn't come up with an answer. So I told, I looked up, and I said, Universe, I need a sign. I need to know what to do because this transcends anything, any decision I've ever made. This transcends it all. Universe sent me a sign. That's all I ask for a sign. So today, I decided to stop by the record store like and I'm trying to give you an anecdote here. I'm trying to make this a storytelling moment. So I go to the record store and I'm like, I'm recording an episode here in like 2 hours and I have no idea what I'm going to pick. And the universe is letting me down. I have no no answer to give. So I meander over through the films and be like, well, we'll see what happens. And lo and behold, there it was. A pre-owned copy of The Last Man of the Last Black Man in San Francisco. Mm-hmm
0: yes is let me ask you is that a24 packaging just not brilliant it is gorgeous
1: my goodness they are not messing around
0: no and i cannot wait for you to see this movie it's so beautiful there and this movie similarly to our discussion on lamb today it's so layered in symbolism and there's so much that happens in it and it's also just a really beautiful story on its own I'm really looking forward to talking with you about that movie in depth because there's a lot of things to explore and I honestly think it'll become one of your favorite A24 films. It's just, I hope you end up loving it as much as you loved her because we had such a great conversation about that movie too.
1: I'm excited. Uh, Well, and then I feel like, honestly, like I wanted to pick Last Black Man in San Francisco from the moment you recommended it, but I just wasn't sure it was going to arrive to my house on time if I order it from A24 because I figure if I'm going to spend the money I'm going to buy the nice packaging but lo and behold it was sitting right there at the record store so I'm just like well it's right here
0: that is amazing so we will be talking about The Last Black Man in San Francisco from Joe Talbot next week so if you haven't seen it Go watch it so you can join our discussion. So we actually have a decent amount of time left, Ray. We haven't spent a lot. Uh, we haven't uh, used up a whole lot of the episode. So what are you? What have you been watching this week? And do you have possibly two movies you could talk about? Because I definitely have at least two movies I can bring up uh, on what I watched this week.
1: Yeah, no, I, I can definitely bring up. Um, I think the one that I so one is a movie and one's a TV show.
0: Yes, do them both. I'm ready.
1: Okay, the TV show, um, this is more on a, on a light-hearted, um, you know, side of things um, because Mondo knows how to get to my wallet and Mondo knows how to just beat me over the head with my wallet. I saw the San Diego Comic-Con leftovers and I had already ordered the, a copy of Godzilla vs. Uh, Mechagodzilla 2 and Doom Patrol. Then they still had copies left over of this little show the score for this little show called masters of the universe. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love the packaging. I thought it looked so cool, but I'm like, well, if I'm going to purchase this score, I should at least watch the source material. So I got on Netflix and yeah, I've been watching He-Man, you know, I've been, I've been feeling that He-Man love just flow through my veins again.
0: It's not a bad decision though, because uh Key man is very entertaining
1: it's it's a fun time. That's the thing. It's like, this is one of those. It's a fun time. Um, it's been a minute since I've been able to put on, like, a cartoon that I'm not just watching for, you know... To be silly or even to like, oh, it's a cartoon and it's inappropriate, so it's funny. No, this is like actually like good storytelling and Mark Hamill voices Skeletor and he's fantastic in it. One of the best voice Um,
0: actors of our time, Mr. Mark Hamill.
1: We're not worthy and he is equally incredible as Skeletor, so it was a good time. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say anything other than it's an entertaining cartoon. Uh, The score was well, well worth the time too, so like I said... You know, it's been ordered and on the way to my house now. So you'll probably be seeing those posted here pretty soon. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I'm still not done with it, but I'm, I'm really enjoying what I've seen so far. I finished season one, and I'm pretty sure I can binge season two in one sitting, but I'm trying to really savor each episode for sure. And the other, the film that I watched this week, and this actually ties to our little theme of under underrated a24 films because this is a movie I knew nothing of. I knew your your five cents or your two cents on this film and I trusted you enough to take a leap on this film. And that is After Yang. What did
0: you think because I loved this movie a lot.
1: What I was expecting, but I say that in like the best way possible. I wasn't sure what I was expecting, to be honest, but it definitely wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be leaning more heavily into the sci-fi, but it leaned more heavily into the drama. And there's something so, like, there's something about this film that I couldn't stop thinking about after I watched it.
0: It's like you're in a dream. The movie makes you feel like you're in a dream.
1: It does, and and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop thinking about the themes, you know... and you know I me mean, I'm a big fan of blade runner and, and those topics so having this this android basically question its own through very subtle ways and through very subtle storytelling this robot essentially having questions about its own existence and where he stands uh, I don't know. It was. It, it left me thinking. I'm still thinking about it. Um, and also, Calling
0: Farrell, man. Where has Calling Farrell been all my life? He's just killing it this year. He's he just continuously kills it. He's one of my favorites. I actually listened to. Um, I don't know if I, I. I'm sure you know this, Ray, but A24 has a podcast, and they did an episode with the director of that film, Koganada, with uh, Michelle Zonier from the band Japanese Breakfast. And he dove into talking about this movie a little bit and it was so fascinating to kind of just hear his perspective. And he has another movie called Columbus, which I've never seen, but I've heard a lot of good things about. And after watching after Yang, I was like, I want to 100% watch this movie because I felt like after Yang, it's similarly to a lot of films we talked about, even like looking at her, it was set in a futuristic world that felt realistic. It felt like something that could 100% be in the next couple of years. And I was so appreciative of that. Oh, it was it was so immersive. The performances were amazing. And this whole idea of like them getting this robot so that their daughter could understand her cultural heritage was just so fascinating to me.
1: I love that. I also love the, um, there's something so like... I don't want to say this without giving too many spoilers, but like when he gets access to the memories and you get all these different lives he's lived all the way to the connection with a character in the film, it was just, I was so mesmerized. And it was one of those movies that it wasn't like high stakes. It wasn't like, this is so exciting and I'm bursting at the seams. No, it was very subdued and quiet, but I just couldn't stop. I was just so fascinated by everything happening on screen. I'm so excited to rewatch it. I uh, I feel like I'm going to get more out of it on on, on second and third viewings because it explored topics that are so fascinating and told through in a way that I don't really have seen it told through through that length.
0: No, it's in my top 10 of the year. Uh, it's definitely one of the best movies made this year. And I, I hate that films like that are not getting a wider release or they're just not being marketed well because i feel like there is an audience for this type of movie and it's us
1: (laughs) it's crazy people (laughs) like us maybe that's so i have
0: two movies that i want to talk about if you're ready to hear me i'm so ready uh so the first one is from a director who i have not been the most kind to uh mr gasper Noe, who did make a movie with a24 called climax which i'm not sure if you're familiar with ray
1: no i'm not
0: yeah yeah i I was not a fan of that movie but i watched his new film vortex starring mr dario argento as the lead character and it was one of the most brilliant movies i've seen the entire year it was about an elderly couple who the wife is being stricken with dementia and it's shot split screen so you have two cameras rolling at the same time one through Daria Argento's perspective and one through the wife's perspective and you get scenes of like her having a dementia episode and him having to go find her and it's just about these two trying to keep their relationship in this period of their life that is just so difficult and their son who's played by Alex Lutz tries to come home and take care of them he's trying to be a part of their lives but he's also kind of fucked his own life up he's in a divorce he has a child he's like selling drugs to try to make enough money to live and it's just a really beautiful character study that's also really heartbreaking and i want to forgive gasper Noé for all the horrible things i've said about climax because now i know that he can do with that visual style and and storytelling what i've always wanted him to be able to do and that movie was one of the best things i've watched all year
1: I'm looking I'm looking him up to see what else he's done. I'm looking up this climax movie, what this is.
0: Yeah, it's a dance movie about these people who go on like a drug trip and they start killing themselves. That's the whole movie. It's really hard to watch. <laughs> it's. It was not a movie that I was really uh, thrilled when I finished it. But yeah, so that was the first movie I watched. And the second movie I watched, Ray, is from A24. Can you believe it?
1: Um, I mean, I would, I would hope so with, with this whole thing you're doing.
0: And this is an A24 movie that came out two weeks ago that did not get a theatrical release. It went straight online for VOD rental, and that is called Funny Pages. And this is a movie about a young kid who... Who just is about to graduate high school he decides that he wants to write comic strips for a living and he tells his really wealthy parents that he wants to live on his own and do his own thing so he moves into this gross grimy basement with these two old men and he tries to make it as a cartoonist he gets a job trying to make a little bit of money while he works on that and he meets this guy who used to work for Image Comics who he asks for advice from who is not the greatest individual. This movie was produced by the Safdie brothers so it's really anxiety inducing it's darkly comedic and it's amazing and I'm really upset that A24 didn't give this a theatrical release because this movie was incredible it was it reminded me of mid-90s it had that very like nostalgic feel and I just had a smile on my face through the entire runtime and I'm so glad I watched this movie if you want to pay the money to rent it on VOD it's totally worth it it's amazing and I hope this gets a blue Ray release soon because I loved it.
1: Interesting, I hadn't even heard of that one. Um, I, I, I freaking hate that sometimes A24 chooses to push certain films and not others. You know, like after a perfect example is after Yang is a movie that I never even saw get to theaters, but then there was this big push for. And no offense to this movie, because I, you know, it wasn't bad. You know, men, there was a big push for men, and I liked after yang way more
0: and the reason why men got a bigger push is you've got uh you got alex garland who made a name for himself with his first two films and i feel like that's how koganata did really well i know that uh columbus made a ton of uh or got a ton of awards people really loved it but i think it was the fact that people knew ex machina and uh a24 was like Oh yeah, but that's similar to this funny pages and it's like instead of putting it out in the theater, they just put it up for a 4.99 rental on Amazon and hope more people will watch it. <sighs>
1: A24. Well, I guess they gotta make money. Exactly. But
0: that—that that is the two things I watched this week. Uh, Vortex is a completely sad miserable nightmare of a wonderful movie and Funny Pages is a bright fun, vivid film that'll make you laugh really hard. So, uh, if you want to destroy yourself and then build yourself up watch those as a as a double feature. And then watch both the films that Ray recommend. Or watch He-Man and then watch After Yang and you'll really enjoy yourself.
1: I mean, enjoy yourself It's a strong word for some of these movies.
0: Exactly. But that's what we like. We, we love diving into the depths and depravity of human misery. So on that note we appreciate you for listening to the episode. As always you can follow us over on Instagram at the Film Monsters Podcast where Ray has been running some polls over there. We always announce the new episodes, trying to engage with you guys whenever we can. We really appreciate all the feedback we get on episodes. We're really having fun putting these out there and then also you can follow Ray and I on our personal Instagrams, Ray at Analog C and myself at my exit unfair where we post a lot of music and film content as well and we're always ready to respond to your questions uh talk to you guys do whatever you want us to do we're just having a blast doing this we get a lot out of it each week and we look forward to next week talking about the last black man in san francisco so as always everyone thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your day
1: stop hating on intellectual properties because Quite frankly, my dears, I don't give a damn.
0: <laughs> Ray is going to take you out if you hate on his Lord of the Rings show anymore. Goodbye, everyone.